What's up, y'all? DT2 Comics Chat, welcoming you to another episode of Sloppy Spoilers. In today's episode, we're going to be concluding our review of, uh, I won't say the Riddick series, I'll say the Riddick content, because there's a lot out there and we're definitely going to hit on everything beyond the movies. So really excited. We're going to be talking about Riddick Blindsided. We're going to be talking about the Chronicles of Riddick Dark Fury. We're going to be talking about Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay. And we're going to be talking about Chronicles of Riddick Assault on Dark Athena. So a lot to cover there. Can't wait to jump into it. Jump into it. So let me welcome my co-host to the show. Welcome to David Nemesis Howard. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I have indeed escaped from Butcher Bay. I have occasional dark fury, so I'm ready to talk here today. Let's uh, give a big welcome to Steve. Shade Wing Sellers, Dr. Steve. Well, it's really nice to uh, finally get out of the slam and, <laughs> and, and really get into like some of the better Riddick stuff, uh, which uh, some of the stuff really is. So, Let's give a welcome to Jeff, Smiley Face, Watchmen, Comedian, Dr. <laughs> Fate, Bracy. Oh, man. I've got more names than Riddick's has been to slams. This is fantastic. <laughs> I'll take them all. Let's get into this. All right. So for our audience, I uh, strongly encourage you to watch our previous pods slash videos where we talked about the Riddick movies. This is one series where <clears throat> it's funny because I'm starting off with general impressions. It's, it's funny that <clears throat> they did so much right and they created such an expansive world. And Riddick is such a compelling character until we literally can't get enough of this, what I call extra content. And, and that is really one of my few, I guess, complaints or pushbacks of the stuff we're talking about this week. And that is that we need to do maybe a, a new kind of marketing scheme. Now, The Matrix did it. The Matrix did it where the story continued in the video game. That was mm -hmm. good. The video game wasn't always that hot. The Matrix also did it where the story continued in the Animatrix. So when you listen to, when you watch Matrix Reloaded, they reference all the, I guess, the outside content, or I'll call it non-movie content, because it's just as much a part of the story as the feature films. But sometimes it's not always framed in the marketing that this is just as much of a part of the story world as the films. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about today, many of you have never even heard of, you didn't even know it was out there, more or less uh, available as additional Riddick content. So just given my general impressions across the board, uh, I loved everything we're going to talk about today. Hmm. I just loved it. I just loved it. I loved every part of it. Like I said, I have minor complaints, if any, because... <clears throat> it was able to do uh, address one of our main criticisms of the films. And that is that the content we're looking at today did the work of the movie. So this stuff so expands and fleshes out and gives you context for every, everything that happens in the films. 
until you have no choice but to see it as a whole. So it's not the Riddick film series, it's actually what we call the Riddick content, because you really need to consume all of it to get the full experience. And on top of everything I've just said, it's so good that we still want more. You know how sometimes you come to the end of a series and we're all like, woo, ain't got to watch that no more. <laughs> like, woo, don't make no more of that. We ain't, you know, like that. That's not the case here at all. At all. And so once again, I'm just highly uh, satisfied, highly happy, highly challenged. I just love this stuff. So I can't wait to get into the details. But it is a, my strong recommendation that you experience as much of this Riddick content as possible. Uh, helps you understand the character of Riddick, the characters, the story world, the story worlds. And it, it's just kind of like what you wanted. And that's one of the reasons it stands out. It's such a sweet set of content materials because very rarely do we consistently get the stuff that we wanted. So we got two incredible movies and one movie that we find kind of iffy. Some loved it, some didn't like it. A lot of things the third movie should have done. That's what we talked about last time. But with the content we're talking about today, it did what it was supposed to do to the point where I was always sad when it was over. That's how good it is in my eyes. So I'm going to throw it out to my co-host. And I definitely would like to hear your first impressions on the Riddick animated content and then the Riddick video game content. Uh, Brace, I'm actually going to save you for last because I know you got the deep details. <laughs> so let's start with uh, Dr. Steve. Yeah, um, all, all of this stuff is just really amazing. Um, some of it I hadn't really watched until relatively recently. Other stuff I had at least seen playthroughs, like uh, Butcher Bay. Um, but yeah, all of it is really, really good. And all of it feels like Riddick. Um, all the stuff, uh, DT, that you were complaining about last week, uh, where they were saying that, you know, Riddick, this is not the Riddick we wanted to see. We wanted to see the Riddick that was awesome. You know, mm -hmm. the, the legend that he became. Mm -hmm. All of these movies and all these games, they did that. All yeah. of them, they did that. Um, the only exception is uh, Blindsided, which I think is basically covered um, in the director's cut of Riddick, uh, the th Riddick 3. Um, mm -hmm. Everything else is is basically old school Riddick, the way that we liked him in the first two movies. Yes. Um, and, and I just love to see that. Um, you know, some of the, there is a certain formula, I think, to the video games where, um, you know, yeah, Riddick gets caught. He has to escape. He fails to escape, and then he's caught and, and sent to a different place, which he has to escape from, you know. But but it's fun watching him do that, and uh, a lot of it is really well written. Uh, the lines are very very good. Uh, Riddick feels like Riddick the entire time. Um, Johns uh, shows up occasionally, and you know, and he feels like the Johns that we've seen, and even hints at stuff that we saw in Riddick three. Um, mm -hmm. The idea that that I know though that that uh, Jeff had talked about. You know, that he had been a good man once. That line has been referenced. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think there was a line about, oh, uh, you know, uh, if my dad would had seen me, uh, he would have beat my ass. You know, and, and and knowing the Johns, that the Papa Johns that we see from Riddick 3, yes, we, he would have. You know, so all of these kinds of things, uh, they fit together very, very well. Um, Dark Fury made me hungry for a Riddick animated series, if I'm absolutely honest. Because um, I, I want to I see more of that. So all of this stuff, um, you know, rather than saying, okay, you know, all of this is the end. I'm glad I'm through that. Now it's time to move on. <laughs> Instead, I feel like I want to know more about Riddick. I want to know more about his universe. I want to know more about these side characters because all of them have stories of their own that are really fascinating. And, you know, 
there's just there's just so much that we need to see, and that's why we need to see Riddick four as soon as possible, and not like Fast Eleven or whatever it is that he's doing. <laughs> you know, the reason what Steve said is so significant is because it rarely happens that way. Uh, one of my favorite examples is Neo. Neo is a concept. We don't really learn that much more about Thomas Anderson after we meet him. And the architect tells us that it's the Thomas Anderson version of Neo that's making the difference. But we never get any more about that guy, except one line from Niobe, I don't believe in the one, I believe in him. Okay, the Riddick stuff pays off that type of line. Mm. Why do we fear this guy? Why do we believe in him? Why do we root for him? Why is he so much fun to watch? That's his stuff. Go ahead, Nemesis. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a review of animation styles and video games. So I'm going to try and stay away from that. That said, I, I, I have legitimate critiques of all of those from an artistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. But the story on all of them are so good that it doesn't matter. So as an example, Dark Fury. Dark Fury is in that weird... Uh, Eon Flux type animation that was so popular and Adult Swim and MTV at the time. You know, you watch it and you're like all of a sudden remembering a days when MTV used to play music videos, you know, and you're watching this. And it's, it's hyper stylized and everything, but you don't care because there's a scene where Riddick comes out of this, this foam and just like kills 10 mercs in like <laughs> five seconds, you know, and you're just like, holy crap, you know, <laughs> so you're watching that. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about the stuff that was included in the Riddick uh, Extended Edition. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, the two video games are the same way. You know, the video games were on the back of other stealth games that have been popular, like Thief and stuff like that. The gameplay wasn't super original, but it didn't matter because the content was that good. And the character that you were following was that good. So the problem with, like, Thief, which was a big stealth game back in the day, was that the character of the Thief was pretty innocuous. It didn't matter. It was all about stealth gameplay. Here you were playing Riddick, and the story and everything about him was just amazing. And especially Escape from Butcher Bay, um, you could have made five of movies like that, and I would have given you money on every single one. You know, it is everything I like. It's, you know, it's the, the prison break. It's Shawshank Redemption. It's Riddick. It's John Wick. It's all rolled into one thing. And then you add in a complete scumbag like John's on top of it, you know? So it's just absolutely wonderful. It's like, put it in my veins. And unfortunately, um, because these games, you know, I think you see the good and the bad here, which is the, the team had a lot of creative freedom to do what they wanted with this because it was a licensed property, but they were getting input. And whether uh, from David Tui and from others who are behind uh, Riddick, and I don't know that they really cared how much money they made as long as they made their money back. I think this was a way for the people who are creating these games to cut their teeth and move on to other things. If I remember correctly, these studios moved on to bigger games later on. This was like their proving grounds. But um, unfortunately, these, I think these Riddick games went away because the stealth genre went away. And I think that it's time that uh, we need a new Riddick game on, on current-gen stuff. And I think it would be incredibly popular. 
And what we're all grateful for, before I throw it to Jeff, is that they didn't script on the voiceover budget, on yeah. the voiceover budget, because the authenticity comes from hearing Vin Diesel and Keith David. But that's what makes this stuff in universe. But from what I understand, and, and I can't verify this, but I've heard this so many times over the years, that most of the people that lent their voice to these video games did it for scale because they loved the IP and they loved the project. Mm-hmm. You can't be that. Yeah, but That's what makes it inclusive. As soon as we hear, because to me, it's like when I hear anybody doing Batman that's not Conroy, it pushes me back just a little bit. I have to adjust. Mm-hmm. Conroy is Batman as far as I'm concerned. Well, Vin Diesel is Riddick. There's no other actor. There's no replacing. There's no passing the mantle. That dude is Riddick. And so that authenticity and the continuity is just off the charts. Go ahead, Jeff, with the deep dive details. Yeah, I got to agree with Nemesis. It's got to be done for scale because you've got talents in there like Ron Perlman. And, you know, that's that's a big Hollywood actor. And especially back then when this was made, you know, he's still he's in the middle of doing Hellboy and all kinds of things. He's super hot at the time. Um, I would argue that the stealth genre has come back thanks to Batman Arkham Asylum series. So. Maybe we'll get more of this in the future, but what I would definitely like to see is because Vin Diesel has proven himself even before this as a credible voice actor with the Iron Giant, he can do rig forever. Just keep it animated. Just keep it computer animated. It doesn't matter how old Vin gets as long as he's got that deep voice of his and can pull off that character. That's all we need. Uh, going back to Steve's point, uh, what I really like about this is uh, there's this completion to the universe now. Uh, this really feels like the pitch black universe. This, uh, these projects have feel like <laughs> and have given us so much more on top of that. And uh, I know we haven't really discussed it that much, but I'd also admonish anybody who is going to dig into this content, go on YouTube, find the, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, like intro to pitch black or something that was done by the sci-fi channel, a little uh, 30 minute kind of mini movie they did before the movie. In a similar vein to the uh, the Blair Witch Project thing that the uh, Sci-Fi Channel put out before that movie came out, it was a really neat idea of the time that putting out these little kind of like mini documentaries before you released uh, an unheard of property, it built up a lot of cool hype for it. Because one of the things I liked about that and that I continue to see here and in the video games is the expanse of the world in ways that we haven't seen in the main films. Uh, they show off cyber technology in this little intro to Pitch Black in the sci-fi movie. In these video games, we get mech suits. And uh, a great thing about this stuff, because it's animated, whether it's the uh, the Peter Chung stuff or the video games, is a big part of the Riddick mythos are fantastic creatures. And we get some really cool new creatures, and I love the fact that they continue to develop really exciting and really interesting uh, monsters to watch and you know like uh, the one on the Peter Chung ship uh, for those of you who don't know Peter Chung is the guy who did all the Aeon Flux and he was uh, his studio was head of the uh, animation on the Dark Fury and he gives us some creatures that are so wild so exaggerated so different I don't know if we could have seen them in a pitch black movie but they fit perfectly within Peter Chung's art style and, uh, and and with Riddick, he still makes them work. It was just glorious and beautiful. He's like, we'll get into this, I'm sure, the 
what I like to call the uh, the killer jellyfish, just uh, <laughs> really crazy creatures in there. And the and the uh, escape from Butcher Bay, there's this really nifted creature that has like a a smaller creature in its back, a la for all you old school X Men fans, uh, War Star. Uh, who are two the words out of my like mouth. A, a big hulking dude and a little dude who'd jump off his back for the extra attack. And like, I, I don't know if he's an X-Man fan, but I kind of geeked out over that because I, I like the evolution. I, I don't know. I got the impression it was almost like a kangaroo where you had the thing in a pouch. Okay. I, like I, I could see, I could see that working biologically. Yeah. And yeah, I, I love the, uh, it, it just shows the labor of love and the passion, the detail that they put into these projects. And, uh, Here's an, an interesting note I found out about Fast and the Furious as well uh, when I was digging into things a little bit today. I found out the whole reason Vin did a, a cameo in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift was to allow him to secure the rights for Pitch Black so that they could do Riddick, the third movie. So Fast and the Furious might be the way that we finally get the payoff of having the continuation of the Riddick series. I, I hope that uh, he and Toy have been banking on whatever successes so they can uh they can finish this magnum opus that they've created together That's i can't awesome. i can't let that uh mention of that creature go by without giving an homage to uh that uh leader from mars on the uh, 90s total recall so whatever it is yeah yeah that's deep when you got a hernia that's a whole person <laughs> so so what we need now nemesis threw out the idea of game continuation what we need now is riddick against the actual xenomorphs and what we what we need now is riddick against a predator or furians against predators Ooh. still not an even fight but Ooh. just what would be cool to see I'm and so do we have riddick as a skin in mortal kombat God, he should be. Oh, yeah. See, so there's 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 stuff that this stuff is gold, man. That would sell like that. That would pre-sell. That's fly off the shelf. Look at everybody getting twitchy. Everybody like, ooh, oh, I, I, <laughs> Riddick joins the battle. Gold, so I want to see. I want to see Riddick and. Um, oh God, now this. I'm I'm feeling my age. I want to see Riddick versus Batman in that video game series. So, you know, oh, snap. Can you imagine Riddick yeah. being a boss character in an Arkham game? Oh, yeah. We would just play that section. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, let's get specific with Riddick blindsided. Okay. This motion comic gaps the bridge between the Chronicles of Riddick and 2013's uh, Riddick. And uh, we talked about it last time. But uh, it uh, it's in the extras for the third Riddick film. But it explains everything that happens. And it explains why it happens. Uh, you understand, Vako has already proven that even though he pretends to be loyal, he's not really. And the best line, because either Steve or Jeff talked about it last uh, video, where we talked about how Riddick refused to take the oath that mm -hmm. Lord Marshall's take, he made a point of that. And so that causes tension, which is a beautiful story point when you're dealing with basically an army of Borgified religious zealots. When you've been assimilated into, as the other guys said, a faith that wasn't my own, but you've done atrocities. So it's like you're in the club now. So like you can't go back to who you were 
after you shed all that innocent blood and blah, blah, blah. And so for Riddick to be one of the few people who has the nerve to be at the top of that food chain and say that he won't conform is just a brilliant idea and it's not a violation of the character. And all of a sudden, it makes you understand why the necromongers would be so hurry, be, be in such a hurry to get rid of him. So you have to watch Blindsided. And it also, for me, I did not like the opening, because I told you about that, of the third film, where he says, I lost a step, so it's time to go back to my primal feral thing. I didn't buy that at all in the film, and I bought it completely in the animated short, the motion comic. I bought it completely because it shows him being seduced by uh, a Tandy Newton type by another uh, necromonger female who's trying to do everything she can to distract him. Then she stabs him, and then, then he realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I guess this seduction stuff really has thrown me off because I wouldn't have fallen for this before. That I bought. Just didn't buy it in the live-action film. So again, this first one, Blindsided, I absolutely love it. To key in on Nemesis's point, Nemesis's point about the animation style, um, I thought it was, I thought it was actually really pretty appropriate for what it was trying to do. It was, it was a bit in a horror style. It was a bit uh, a touch of uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, Slender Man. It's been like, you know, there's a whole scandal about that. And I'm not trying yeah. to minimize anybody that's been through anything with that. So don't take that the wrong way. I'm just purely talking about the style. It was a horror style and that kind of style where things are always lurking in the shadows and things are always in the frame, but out of focus and everything's dirty and the lines are running, that kind of thing. And I loved it. I thought it was totally apropos for, for the story I was trying to tell. And in just six minutes, it makes the third movie make sense to me because everybody else liked it. I didn't like it until I saw this. I'm like, okay, well, I actually could have taken another hour of that, of Blindsided. So those are my thoughts. What do you think? Uh, start with Bracey. What do you think about Blindsided? Uh, Blindsided, actually, I'm of the same mind. Blindsided fixed a major problem I had with the third film. Is I was thinking when she suggests, like, you hear the noise outside the chambers, like, oh, are the guards still there? And, you know, he does the window wipe off to look outside. And then she just, she gets the drop on him and she stabs him. I was like, no, no, I, I don't care how civilized he's gotten. That's not happening. That is not happening. Now, if somebody breaks in some berserker trying to kill him, then he's distracted enough for her to creep up on him. I totally bought it at this point. It's like you said, this little motion comic and I, I guess they just didn't have the time or the budget to film that particular scene all the way through. But uh, that one fight fixed all of that for me, just having that in there. And uh, a little bit of the uh, uh, the voiceover was rearranged slightly, and it just made everything flow. It made everything make a lot more sense. It uh, All it was really lacking was the scene of like uh, Riddick, the real temptation for Riddick, was being tempted by thoughts of furia and how to get off of this throne that he's found himself chained to all of a sudden, because that's a cage that Riddick can find no way out of. Uh, so this little bit really did a lot for me. Yeah. I very much appreciate being able to see it. Well, again, I like the multi-point approach. Uh, he's got Vako. He's always got to watch his back around Vako. That's clear. 
but now he has this woman in his chamber and he's got to deal with that. But he's naturally distracted with thoughts of fury. That's what I'm saying. I bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have bought it any other way, but then to see, because it's like that when you sit on that kind of throne of power. It's why the president ages so badly. It's why the pres- president ages so much in four years. That's like 10 years for regular people time. Because you got all that stuff pulling at you all the time. I mean, like I've, I've made this comparison before and I'll go ahead and make it again. It mm-hmm. reminds me very much of the works of Robert E. Howard, where you have this barbarian who's taken over a civilized throne. Even though the uh, the necromongers are a cult of death, they are still in their own way a civilized people. They have rules. They have structure. But when you, you know, he's the barbarian. He's the outsider. He's like, you know, uh, Cole on the throne of Volusia. He's Conan on the throne of Aquilonia. Uh, he cannot help but get restless and want to get away from this. At you know, it's just with Riddick, he gets there instantly. <laughs> well, I was going to say we knew from the moment it happened it could not possibly stick, even if there wasn't going to be a third film because that's not him. He's not built for the weight of a nation of people on his shoulders. He would not want to be bothered with that, just like Logan isn't. Yeah. Right, go ahead, Nemesis. Thoughts on Blindside? Yeah, I think I, I understand even more so a lot of the disconnect we had on the third film because I never saw the movie in the theaters. The only version I've ever seen is the extended version mm-hmm. uh, with this stuff in it. So, you know, that's why it made a lot more sense to me. Um, I totally buy everything you're saying about it uh, crystallizing where this character's head is and why his head isn't in the game. Okay, yeah. maybe he hasn't lost a step, but his head isn't in the game. You know, maybe that's the best way to put it. Yes. Um, so uh, it it definitely crystallizes that for me. Um, I'm just gonna, you know, and and that is pretty much all I can say about it because we talked. I talked a lot about this in our last pod. Mm-hmm. Um, about you know these scenes, I will say, uh, it never hurts when you have three beautiful women in bed to kick it off the the movie, you know. So, you know, which is in there, you know, I'm 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 not going to complain about that. Um, the other thing I will say though is I don't know if we're going to cover it in this pod, but on the special edition DVDs, there is also a list of um, audio journals by Johns leading up to the Pitch Black movie. It's his hunt journals for Riddick, detailing his hunt for Riddick and his capture, and then Riddick gets away, and then he captures him again. And it's like 25 minutes long of different journal entries. I thought that this web, this motion comic does the same thing for Riddick that those journals do for Pitch Black. So even though I love Pitch Black, when I listen to John's hunt journals of him hunting Riddick and of him getting attacked and hurt by Riddick and everything else and him talking about Riddick, it made Pitch Black that much better a movie after I listened to them. That's what this webcomic does as well. And and those additional scenes, excuse me, in the extended edition of the, the movie. Uh, that's uh, a perfect bit of content um, to bring in because it fills in the character and we kind of get more about John's as we go along through all the content and see why he was who he was, basically from both sides of the coin, you know, how I grew up and what motivated me then and was motiva- motivating me now. But yeah, it's that filling in that gap because I think that's brilliant. Having the journals of the, the bounty hunter that's after our main character and hearing it from his perspective. You know, I think that, that's just absolutely brilliant. And again, 
It just it just sells you the story world on a completely different level. Now, before I throw it to uh, Steve, I want to talk about very briefly how the only other movie that does this right for me is Rocky Three. Rocky mm. Three did it with a montage, but what they did that was so perfect was they showed Rocky getting soft while Clubber Lang is out there doing his them hard crunches that make your stomach hurt when you look at them. You don't have to do them, you just have to look at them. And he's doing them hard crunches and he's doing his pull-ups and, and Rocky's on the Muppet Show and Rocky's making out with Adrian in the lawn and Rocky's sitting on his motorcycle and Rocky's posing for Time Magazine and Clubber's out there sweating and grunting and grinding and snarling like a Mike Tyson analog. By the time they meet the first time, we completely buy it. And add to that the flavor of Mickey dying right before the match. But we completely buy why Rocky said he's nowhere near in the game. Nowhere near in the game. And Ricky, uh, Ricky, Mickey even pops his balloon before the fight and says, all them fights you won were handpicked. They weren't setups, but they were fights that you were pretty much guaranteed to win. See, that's perfection because that means you buy the conflict and you buy that Rocky has something come back from. So bringing that back over to Riddick, you completely buy how this guy that is the definition of a loner has been weighted down with leading a bunch of people he had no desire, no intention to lead. And now he's got all this responsibility, plus the babes in the chamber, plus Jack is out there, plus he wants to go home. See, now it makes sense. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, um, a lot of this uh, we pretty much covered last week uh, when we discussed the uh, Riddick 3, um, because a lot of this is basically what was in the extended cut of the movie. Um, when I originally saw uh, the theatrical cut of Riddick, it felt incomplete to me. And it's because all the stuff in Blindsided was not in that version of the film. Um, so watching it, um, you know, both of the extended cut and watching it like the actual blindsided motion comic, um, all of that fills gaps, um, that are important because we need to be able to see how Riddick got to that planet the way that he did. We needed to be able to see, you know, his character journey, you know, how he got to the top and how he gradually lost it. So, you know, we get all of that. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like also that. It's the same issue that I had, uh, I think, with Riddick in general, um, uh, Riddick 3 in general, which is all of this stuff gives you uh, appetite for more, but you don't get enough of it. And this is and this has always been, been my big problem with this. It's like you want to see Riddick do all of these things. You want to see you know, all the stuff with the necromongers and, we, and all of these things, but we don't quite get enough of that. But, but I feel like as a story in itself, in a microcosm, it's, it works because at least it shows you the journey of how he gets to that point and it feels plausible, which is what you don't get in the theatrical cut. So you, so you get all of that. Um, I think it's perfectly good. And I think that the best parts of Riddick 3 were actually the stuff that they cut out of it because it gives you all the stuff you want to see. And that was definitely in this film. And so, yeah, um, I, I, I dug it. I wish there was more, but, you know, it, it's fine for what it is. Just a, a quick question to, or you know, a comment to throw in everybody's head, and uh, just to kick around. I'm wondering if all of us of this generation buy this idea of the warrior being brought down by civilization more.
because we were exposed to the Rocky movies. We saw it happen to Apollo. We saw it happen to Rocky. You know, it's like that success. I mean, Apollo. Paul's manager says it, you know, it's like Apollo wasn't the same fighter once he found success and everything, you know? Maybe, but it's kind of like a human thing. It's like, once you get to a certain point, you have to fight to stay there. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, you know, pride go before a fall. Yeah. You know, they, there's they, always that wave. They actually make that same point John Millis Conan film with Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. You know, as uh, as Maka was uh, talking over, who would you know, later on be in, uh, his vizier and Conan the Destroyer, he's like going like, your success can test a man's metal more than any battle. And then, like, Conan just falls <laughs> Yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have to agree, Steve. It, it is universal, but I, I would venture to say that, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but those those Rocky movies were just, like, cultural milestones for me growing up, you know? Yeah, so. no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, because they are very specific type of hero's journey, rags to riches to rags to riches, mm-hmm. and questioning what are the real riches, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so and so with Riddick in particular, uh, it's because the character by definition is so feral. That's the root of his reaction to life. Is that kind of feral, kind of primal, kind of the way an animal would react. That's why I keep telling you he's Logan to me. And so if you are gonna catch anything like that off guard, you gotta distract it. You gotta razzle dazzle it. You gotta put something, an overwhelming smell or a vid, you gotta do something to throw it off. And that's how you get it off its game. And so that's why, see, it's organic. That's why we believe it. Okay. Okay. Everybody talks about blindside, right? I got it. Yep. Okay, all right, good. Okay, now we're going to go over to Dark Fury. Okay, mm. now Dark Fury actually comes in uh, right after Pitch Black, and it's another one. It's another one, another one that just so greatly furthers the story world. Now, in terms of uh, my reaction to it, I really only had one complaint, just one, and my complaint was. Riddick wasn't as big as he should have been. He wasn't drawn as big as he should have been. He looked a little too normal. And there are definitely some scenes where he he looked average. And he's not average. He's, he's definitely got uh, a taller build and all that. And he looked a little bit like uh, one of the dudes from Alien 3, one of Ripley's prisoner monks. He looked a little bit like that too much for me in Dark 3. But that's just a minor, just a minor observation slash complaint, I guess. But uh, that scene Nemesis was talking about where he comes out of the cheese pod, he literally <laughs> is in a Michael Jordan pose. Go back and watch it again. He's doing an Air Jordan except with a knife yes. instead of a basketball. Yes, yes, he is. He's flying. I'm like, holy cow. And he does a cheat. He does a Superman cheat because he accelerates. You can't do that unless you can fly. <laughs> okay, we'll take it. Because he does that. You can't do that when you jump. You don't do that if you can fly. But once again, minor, minor, minor 49er. So it was great. It was great. Um, And one of the reasons that is great is because of the details. He did something I've been waiting for him to do again, which was trick his opponent into cutting the lights off. And now it's dark. And now the purple eyeballs 
uh, become the great weapon again because he can see you just fine. And once again, and so it had what I call the 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 techno punk animation style, a little bit heavy metal, a little bit if Tron Legacy was animated, a little bit of Aeon Flux, it feels like that. But that didn't bother me, like I said, except for really feeling too small sometimes. But in terms of of the style fitting the story that it was telling, it was great. If you weren't annoyed by Jack, you <laughs> would have been by the time this was over, and you also realized why she had to die. This mm. is the only thing I ever watched that actually changed my mind, because I hated that Jack slash Kira died at the end of Chronicle, but once I saw this, I was like, yeah, no, you gotta go. <laughs> You're that kid in the middle of a zombie apocalypse screaming at the top of their lungs, ah, oh. I was like, yeah, okay, okay. I get it now. So rarely do I change my mind like that. But once I saw this, I was like, you done been through all this and you still don't know what situation you're in. You still can't sit in the corner and shut your mouth. You're going to kill yourself and your mom and Riddick because you can't shut up. So, oh, well. So that had to go in. And when you see how Kira responded to Riddick in Chronicles, she was just pulling after him like every five minutes. She would scream his name every five minutes, Riddick. I'm like, okay, no. So now I see, yeah, she had to go. And it's shame, but oh, well. But, uh, as soon as I hear Keith David's voice come out of his mom, I'm completely in it. You, I'm completely in the world because his voice is unique and his voice is, you know, unmistakable like Conroy and Vin Diesel. I love that. Um, I, uh, now this idea, this particular idea, the, the Museum of Frozen Mercs, holy mm -hmm. cow. Haven't seen anything that powerful since Demolition Man and Minority Report, because on Minority Report, they have the thing with the halos, whatever. That was, see, that's a whole nother story right there. That whole museum she said, that's a whole nother story. I like, and the other thing I want to say before I throw it out to you guys is, this was totally a Batman situation. <laughs> she was like the Riddler. <laughs> and, you know, and Toy Man combined, or like the collector from Marvel and the Riddler. And I was like, holy cow, where is Adam West? <laughs> that kind of thing. So the one thing that, that did a little bit of a bait switch on me, and, and I want to hear if you guys, if it happened to you guys too. Here's the thing. When she first introduces the idea that she basically wants to see Riddick in action and wants to see him carve out a masterpiece, masterpiece of death in real time before her, if you will, which reminded me of Crazy from Man on Fire. When she said she wanted to do that, I thought she meant he had to kill Imam and Jack. Was that anybody else? I thought that's what that meant. Oh. I thought she was saying, if you want to survive, you got to carve them up in front of me. See, that's a different set of stakes. That's what I thought was happening, because that was Batman Forever, where Riddler had Chase and Robin in the tubes. And he's like, you know, we saved one. And he's like, I'm Batman. But... That's mm. what I thought the choice was. That, you know, I'm not going to let you leave unless you kill them. So then it turns out that wasn't actually it. But that's what I thought it was. That's a different set of stakes if she had done that. Because I, I was like, that's super devious right there. <clears throat> that's Joker level stuff right there. I was like, wow. But again, like I said, I'm, I'm just blown away. So glad that this content is a part of the series. Um, 
as soon as he said, I'm going to stick my knife in your eye. <laughs> That's the same as Michael Jordan sticking his tongue out because the ball going in. That's going to be two, three, or four points when that tongue come out. Points. So as soon as Rid Riddick says, I'm going to kill you like this, just start your stopwatch. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I just loved it. I, I just loved it. I was like, this is, y'all need to do more of this right here. Yeah. But let me hear your thoughts about uh, Dark Fury. I, again, I just think it's brilliant on a variety of levels. Uh, start with Steve. Yeah, I came away from this thinking there needs to be a Riddick animated series in either this style or some you know other style because it absolutely works exactly as you say. Um, no, I didn't really think that that was where she was going. I didn't think that Riddick would do it, and I thought that she knew that Riddick wouldn't do something like that. But I like how devious and nasty that is. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I will give you that. I will absolutely give you that. But uh, no, I thought there was going to be more like, okay, this is going to be like a gladiatorial combat where mm -hmm. it's like, I want, I want you to kill this guy in the most artful way possible. This is the best guy I can find, and I want you to kill him because I want to see a magnificent death because either way, I get the death that I want. Right. Um, you know, because she seems to be all about death as an art, you know, death as an yeah. art form, you know, yeah. with, with Riddick as a sculptor. I think that was a really, really great idea, you know. And the thing is, Riddick doesn't see himself that way. He doesn't see himself as, a, as an artist or anything of any kind. Uh, and I, he says this. Yeah. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, sure. On your point, I think that one of the greatest lines in this, in this uh, little animated short is she says, you know what the difference between the two of us are? And Riddick looks right at her and goes, I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coming from him, coming yeah. from Riddick, that is saying a lot. Because Riddick is not exactly a normal dude. You know, this is a guy who's accustomed to killing all kinds of people. But the thing is why they do it. You know, Riddick kills because, you know, basically he's a survivor. You know, mm -hmm. he will kill between anything between him and the life that he wants, whether it's freedom or, you know, whether it's, you know, just being able to, to live through the next day. You know, he kills as a matter of pragmatism. You know, she kills because she likes it. She mm -hmm. enjoys watching people die. And, and, and that's just absolutely disgusting, but it shows the, 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 the difference between the two. Um, and I think that that's, those kinds of villains are really, really great when you can bring them along. And I love, um, honestly, in the side content, I love how many great female villains we get because mm -hmm. uh, not only do we get a Chillingsworth, we also get uh, Gail Revis from uh, a Dark Athena. And, yeah. and both of them are really interesting villains. So, you know, all of the, the antagonists that they bring on for these, for these shorts... Um, you know, completely fit in with um, basically the entire universe that we've seen so far, you know, and, and they provide variety and contrast and they all have their own different points of view, which I really, really like. Um, it's not forced. It's, it's not, not forced. No, it's natural, completely natural. Um, yes. Yeah. So and, and, and I will say also, I love Keith David. I love Keith David. So for so many reasons. Um, you know, but I always think of him as Admiral Anderson from Mass Effect. <laughs> so every time I hear him, you know, I, I'm always thinking of that. But he's such a good actor that you can definitely tell that he's the imam and not playing Anderson or somebody else. Um, he has that, that the, the way that he does the accent is very distinctive. But he mm -hmm. also has that charisma and the way that he projects his voice. And, and, and so you always get to hear that. And, uh, and just like here, like in Pitch Black, he's, again, the moral arbiter of, of the thing. You know, he of the story, you know, he's the one holding Riddick back from doing the really awful stuff. And and I love the whole contrast 
um, as always, you know, that that he has like a Mal and Shepard book have. And that's always in there. Um, Jack, uh, yeah, she was so much a damsel in distress in this story, unfortunately. Um, I, and it's just like, uh, you want to see the, the person that she becomes in Chronicles of Riddick and she's just not, you know, she's constantly, you know, sort of yelling Riddick and, and all of these sorts of things. And it's not really until the end that we start to see, you know, where she starts to become Kira, but unfortunately it's just too little too late. Um, but yeah, I, I think the really the only issue was with the animation it is very stylized. Um, it does kind of show Riddick as being a little leaner than he should be. Um, the the video games don't do that. You can definitely see he looks like how Vin Diesel should look. Um, but I get, I, I, I mean, it works for the movie, I guess. But it's it's not the way I like to see him. And and yeah, I had a kind of an issue with that. But overall, with the story, um, the way that it sets up Chronicle of Riddick, the way it sets up Tombs. Um, Tombs yes. is as much of an idiot in this movie, but you know you get to see how he gets on Riddick's trail um, and all mm. of that. That's set up well. How Riddick gets rid of him initially. That's all set up very well. And so you know, I just my sort of feeling is I wish this had been a longer movie because it's all so enjoyable and you love seeing these characters. And 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 on top of that, the animation and all of this takes advantage of stuff that you can't do in a big budget movie. You can't have mm -hmm. a big ship like you have uh, in this movie. You know, you can't have all these monsters and these creatures done to the same extent that they are done in this movie. But the animation, because of all of that, takes advantage of this. And so you get to see a, a side of the Riddickverse that you can't in live action just because you have all of that. And all of it just comes together so well. I, I love the, I love this whole, this whole short. Okay, three quick things before I throw it to Nemesis. Uh, thing number one, you took the words out of my mouth about Shepard book, but to throw on my writer's hat, to talk to all the writers. Basically what they said was, you sure know a lot about killing in these monsters for a holy man. Hmm. With one line, you just exploded your character. Now they are 10 times more interesting. The same way book mm -hmm. was. That's brilliant writing. Where you're not using fancy words and you're using common language, but it only takes a sentence and all of a sudden, the camera zooms over to Imam, and he's got the little Spock brow, and you're like, oh, my goodness. You hide some secrets there, dog, ain't you? Go ahead, Nemesis, you want to jump in? I was going to say, not only that, but then later on, Imam shows some, he's got some skills. Yes. He's got some skills. So it's like, you had that line, and then you show later. You don't tell us. You just show us. And what like, was he before Pitch Black? That's what yeah. I want okay, See, now, my <laughs> theory was always that book was an operative. That's yeah. how we knew. Oh, yeah. oh I, feel, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So now yeah, it's, it's, there's definitely that. references in there that he was some sort of soldier beforehand. Yeah. So now that's what I'm thinking. The same deal is with Imam. He was some type of soldier, some type of merc. He's got some kind of training because you can't just turn it off. And it's yeah. very, very obvious. But, but those kinds of touches make your story world expand organically to the point where we want to see more because now we want a prequel on Imam. We want a pre-pitch back prequel and that's not easy to pull off with a supporting character. And they did, thing number mm -hmm. one. Thing number two, it's exactly what I said before. If you think about it, the uh, I forgot the lady's name. She's she's Joker from Batman 89. Of course. Where Sounds death worse. is an art. Remember, that's what Joker was about. The mask, mm -hmm. the acid, the carving mm -hmm. up Alicia's face. I make art till somebody dies. That was her, wicked and devious, and I totally bought it. 
uh, two and number three, this one is somewhat tangential, but I think relevant. Remember how Riddick says in Chronicles, I had heat on my tail, I had murks on my tail, I'll always have murks on my tail. Mm -hmm. That's in nice. Dark Fury, the story they gave Riddick is supposed to be seven of nine story. Seven <laughs> of nine is not supposed to be a ranger flying around pew pew. <laughs> seven of nine is supposed to be the most hunted person in the galaxy because she has more surviving board implants in her than any drone known in history. Hmm. I can't believe they established that about her and didn't understand that that means you are now Riddick if you're seven. So imagine where seven story goes if it's this story, because that's what it's supposed to be. Can you imagine the people that would be trying to hunt you down, trying to clone you, trying to dissect you, trying to sell you, trying to worship you? You see how all of a sudden seven and nine becomes this whole next level thing? Well, that's what happened right here with Riddick, because Riddick is like Hulk in that way. Why don't they leave Hulk alone? Why don't they leave Riddick alone? They're going to never leave you alone. But he gets that. And so I, I was just blown away when I juxtaposed Star Trek Picard against a 34-minute animated short. I'm like, well, y'all get it. <laughs> and, you know, because, because you get the sense. It's the same sense you get in Logan's life. That even when I want to lay low, even when I want to retire to the planet and mind my own business, even when I want a strawberry banana smoothie, y'all won't leave me alone. Okay? And that is supposed to be seven story. Now, pew pew, ooh, look, I'm the Galactic Ranger. Uh, anyway, Nemesis, go ahead. <laughs> well, now you make me want to watch a Mercs movie in Star Trek, so which I will never <laughs> get. But all right, um, some bullet points about Dark Fury. You know, um, number one with Jack, yeah, is the one real misstep in this because even though Jack was borderline, you know, had the, some annoying traits in Pitch Black, they took those and amplified them up to 11 in yes. this movie to the point where she couldn't even run normally. She was doing this half-haltingly half clumsy run with her arms by her side. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, it's like they made her into a doofus, you know, anchor around Riddick's neck, you know? So it's just like, it was not good. Um so that's bullet point one. And I, I'm not sure why they did that uh, other than um, having watched a lot of animation and anime from that time period. They always seem to do that, especially with characters, uh, young characters uh, during this time frame. Um, if a character was inexperienced or socially awkward in a situation, they over-exaggerated it and put it into a physical way as well. So they turned everything up to 11. It's just the way that the animation style and everything was done. That's right. true. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. Um, which leads me then to the animation style. Yeah, I talked about it. This is very reminiscent of Ian e e Flux. Um, also, I thought it was interesting. I don't think this was a deliberate reference, but it took my mind there. There's one scene where they have... Uh, you know, where they put him down there to kill the two uh, jellyfish of death. And uh, they have him switch over to ultraviolet lights. And so the, you know, the psycho joker up there, you know, she's like ultraviolet. So immediately I went to ultraviolet, you know, which was a series. and was also a movie. And I think 
part of the problem I think that that this movie has uh, Pitch Black had, and that to a certain extent Chronicles Riddick had, but also this animation had, is they came out around the same time that you had Ian Flux, the movie came out, and the Ultraviolet movie came out, and those movies were based on great IP, but they were very cheaply made, and you know you could watch it after drinking four, or five, or six, or eight beers and enjoy it, you know, but. They weren't the greatest movies in the world. And God bless her, Mila Jojovich. She's been in some good stuff that I've liked, but she's been in a lot of stuff that it was like, I, I need a case of beer to sit down and enjoy this, you know? So, and unfortunately, I think it got tied into a lot of science fiction properties and animation properties uh, that made their way into live action kind of get lumped together into this whole group of films that includes films like that, you know? And I think that's unfortunate. Um, maybe that's me reading too much into it, but I, it's just kind of the way I feel about it. Um, Tombs. I think this um, short does incredible work with Tombs. Mm. I want to know what the hell Tombs did to get locked up in the first place. Mm -hmm. Why did he get on her crap list? And, you know, and it's like I said, back from our last pod, I think that this short really establishes that there are mercs, there are mercs, and then there are mercs. You know, so you have the A team was the people who first went out there and then got Michael Jordan to death when Riddick came out of the, the cheese pie there. You know, the B team was Tombs. You know, they thought him out. And then, you know, Joker set whatever that, you know, mecha rodent slash worm thing that was going through that was part bloodhound, part worm, part gopher, part robot. You know, I was like, I want to see more of that. You know, what is that thing? Right. You know, and they ate the B team and then the C team <laughs> was all the rest of the, the you know, the, the Santanas. Then she thought out the Santanas and just put them out there to get killed. You know, so it's like, uh, so, you know, you've really just in a short time, you've established that there are tiers of mercs. There's tiers of usefulness. There's these giant merc ships floating around out there. So it's like, so which begs the question, it's like, well, if you don't sign up with one of one of these big Merc ships, what did you do to be an independent contractor like Johns or Santana? You know, mm -hmm. how did they get their own ships? You know, just all sorts of questions being answered there, which even if it's, you know, I love Steve's idea of an animated series, but I think a comic book series would be great as well. Yeah. If yeah. you could explore the, all this. I'd write it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Great. Go no, and then. And then Riddick's lethality. You know, we've already covered this, but I, I just want to make the point again. Riddick's lethality, his survival instincts, his smarts are just on full display here. Everything about him is about problem solving, lethal when he solves problems, and his ability to be a lateral thinker. You know, uh, the way he takes out the, the, the mecha gopher, you know, whatever we want to call it. You know, that was pretty, pretty cool. You know, and then the fact that Imam, you know, uh, Imam shows skills, and but he and, and Riddick are on the same page, so that Imam is able to get Jack away when they get up there, you know, and then the final fight uh, where he tricks the guy into cutting off the power, and then you know he's a dead man at that point. Just absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I, I loved everything about it. I'd say the only thing that was a really a miss out of this short was the treatment of Jack. Um, but you know, and I could live with it. Oh, and one other thing, not only did he Superman 
and speed up when he was flying, but he doesn't have gravity boots on and he hits the walls and then pushes off and runs up the walls in zero G and sticks to them somehow. But <laughs> super fury and powers. But ask me if I care. Oh, <laughs> and one not care. <laughs> and there is one last thing. One of the coolest things I noticed for the first time watching it again today was that one of the people that uh, the crazy lady has on display, the plaque, I'd never paused it to actually read the plaque, but the plaque says killer of man, Furion. Yeah. So one of the people on there, so it's like, <laughs> yes. was that one of his people? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Maybe it's uh, the high priestess mm -hmm. that he keeps having visions of. Well, it was a it was a half naked dude, but yeah, it was a, it was the dude uh, that he was like poking around and everything. But yeah, mm -hmm. but the plaque underneath him says "Killer of Man," and then it says "Furion" underneath it. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. So there are still a few Furions floating around. We've seen with the the uh, purifier and this guy who's on ice. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But once again, it's those little details, and the details are organic. Because again, it keeps you in the world and it, it keeps you wondering about character motivations and what they're thinking and what that means to them personally. And when you do stuff like that as a writer, that is what gives you stakes. Gives you stakes because Riddick legitimately can have beef, uh, racial beef, legitimate, because of the way people treat his people. Now, whether or not they deserve to be treated that way is a different conversation. But how people react to Furians in the story world seems to be uniform, and none of it's good like ever. Uh, Bracey, strange request. Okay. Uh, 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 let me see that shirt. Put the camera a little bit, let me see that shirt. Okay, I have that exact shirt. I knew it, that shirt is so nice. Okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let me hear your thoughts. Uh, uh, part of, part of my 4th of July get up. I'm, I love that shirt. I love that shirt. I also have one that's like all black with the flag is deep. Anyway, thoughts on Dark Fury. Let's, uh, let's start with Jack. Let's let's get the worst part out of the way. Uh, the problem I have with Jack here is the same problem I have with Jack in Pitch Black. Uh, once the mask comes off, once Jack becomes, and in, in the creds they list her as Jack Jackie, once Jack becomes Jackie in Pitch Black, mm -hmm. uh, she becomes a liability. Uh, she no longer becomes a character who's interesting. I mean, she's interesting the way, like, oh, okay, she played this role, and now like, I kind of want to know her backstory. Why is this young girl traveling alone through the galaxy? What's going on here? But she, she just totally devolved into somebody who's practically helpless. It's like once she got rid of the persona of being the tough kid, she was constantly scared. She allowed herself to just be afraid and, you know, just to literally become the damsel in distress. And unfortunately, even in the presence of Riddick here, that continues. So I, I see this continuing on from the movie. Uh, and it, it, it gets resolved in a way at the end, but I, I wish Jack had shown a little bit more chutzpah along the way. Uh, I, I didn't like her being, you know, quite such a drag on everybody else. Uh, because obviously Jack has potential. We see what she becomes as Kira. The uh, uh, the art style, uh, Peter Chung, who did create and develop Aeon Flux, uh, his studio handled all this. So there's uh, a lot of great art in here. 
Now he does have a very uh, stylized form of art. I think this is why when you look at Riddick in this cartoon, compared to everybody else, he's massive because Peter Chung likes to do these very elongated figures. Uh, these very wispy, almost uh, elven kind of swimmers physique kind of figures. And so while he doesn't have the bodybuilder physique, uh, he's still kind of the biggest guy in there. Now, I do have one problem with the animation. There is a spot where he finally gets to fight uh, Chilling Guest's right-hand Donner at the end, the, the promised I'm going to stick this knife in your eye fight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't help but wonder if that's just the fact that Riddick always keeps his promise, like your head's going to be in the box, or if that's some of Riddick's uh, fury and prescience that comes into play. Because, again, in the... Uh, the sci-fi thing that premiered before the movie, he seems to have some sort of low-grade paranormal ability to predict. Yes. And, uh, and in, that, uh, in that scene, the art style rapidly changes. The, the character models are all off, and it goes from looking like Dark Fury to going 100% Aeon Flux. I mean, the bodies are like crazy angular, crazy stretched out, and it was unfortunately a real moment of like, WTF, like you took me out of it because you switched gears all of a sudden in the art style. I thought uh, it was just me because no, doesn't no, it really seem like Riddick's shoulders get broader? And yeah, stuff there's like, like when he when mm -hmm. he first walks up and he's doing like the the kind of the gypsy danger thing. He's, he get, he's got gorilla arms, you know. All of a sudden he's got gorilla arms. And then when they start fighting, they're they're bending at these impossible angles and everything, and that's Aeon Flux style to a T. So I don't know if. Peter had to come in and animate himself if they were falling behind, if there was a deal with the budget or whatever. I wasn't able to find out anything about that. But there's a clear shift in the art style, and it's it's unfortunately off-putting. You can't help but notice it. It doesn't take away from the story so much, but it causes a little bit of cognitive dissonance when you're first watching the film. It's still great to see Rick be Rick, though, no matter what the form it takes. Um, the I'm glad I saw... Chronicles of Riddick before I saw this because I don't think I would have bought this had I not seen Chronicles first. Mm -hmm. Because this film, it doesn't just expand the world but it really ups the ante. It's kind of like going from watching Star Wars to watching the prequels when all of a sudden the technology in the prequels is so much better than anything Star Wars has. It's just head and shoulders above everything because you know movie making technology has advanced and you... You kind of have to explain, well, okay, the Empire has depressed the world's technology and kind of ground people down, and we don't have this really cool stuff that we used to. So when I see all these uh, popsicle perps and mercs, I was like, ah, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I buy uh, giant ships full of mercenaries. But because I've seen this other movie and I've seen this expanded world, if I'd seen these chronologically, it wouldn't have worked for me. But now that I've seen this wider universe with Chronicles, I can buy into this and I can start thinking about like, oh, you know, that's actually a pretty clever way of using that whole uh, cryosleep suspended animation technology is you just basically freeze somebody in place and turn them into your own little twisted uh, uh, sculpture garden. Uh, what a what a twisted and fun idea. And I got to tell you, DT, I love that idea so much because Chilling Guest is a Joker type villain. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish that had been the play that she had made. And it would have been great because Riddick's not going to do what anybody wants him to do. So it could have still worked out plot-wise. I'm going to like, you know, like when the 
when they're holding the guns on him, they're telling him to drop the knife because he's, he's he's got that one poor schmuck under his knees. Like, no, nah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, that's Riddick's answer to anything when somebody tries to uh, in, invest their authority over him. It's just not going to happen. Uh, the art style is uh, fun, kinetic, frenetic. Uh, let's get to the cheese ball because everybody talk about the cheese ball. I love, <laughs> I love zero G in uh, sci-fi movies and better. I love zero G done right. And I wish this had been one of the, the places it had been done. Uh, the art style is beautiful and fluid. I love that whole scene where he's like just dragging people into the foam and killing them. You just see the, the blood welling up. And you're like, Oh, that's another one down, another one down. And then he pops out and Michael Jordan's all over the place. <laughs> but the fact that he accelerates, the fact that he wall runs, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for that equal and opposite reaction that you get in zero G and using that to his advantage. Um, they did it a little bit in the movie Ender's Game, but it's done so much more better in the book if you read it, how they, they use the zero G to their advantage. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, I bounce off this guy. He goes colliding to this guy. Meanwhile, I'm flying over here to this guy. It would have been great to see something like that. Um, I've seen it done every now and again in a movie where people do zero G right. The fact that if you you can't hit somebody effectively because you're in zero G, like you would have to uh, a little trick they put in the manga Battle Angel Alita, uh, which has the, shows them using Panzer Kuntz was originally formed as a martial art developed for zero G fighting, and it showed how like you can throw somebody off balance because you weigh nothing just by like twisting a finger and it flips the whole body. Or you mm -hmm. grab somebody and you punch them while you're hanging on to them because then they're going to get the whole force of that punch. It's terrific stuff. And I wish I'd seen that here, but I can forgive it because it was just so entertaining. Uh, chilling Gas. Boy, what a piece of work. And it's it's one of those names that's so tongue-in-cheek, but it's so apropos. It's very common book. It's very comic book. You know, like uh, you know, naming somebody, you know, the Joker and... Uh, you know, it's like it, it's really indicative or sometimes you uh, you get characters with names who uh, really mean what their character is going to be. It's 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 a little trope of my own when I'm designing characters like I have a, a character whose uh, superhero name is the Palmetto Bug, a.k.a. the Roach. And his name is Horace Caker Lake and Caker Lake is German for cockroach. It's just fun little Easter eggs I like to throw in there and add that little layer of meaning and when you meet somebody whose name is chilling because she's got all these frozen people and gassed as in ghastly that's a bad guy <laughs> there's no doubt that that is a bad guy and it's funny because when i when i first saw the movies pitch black i think of the name richard b riddick mm -hmm. the name riddick it, it's got this cool strong sound to it riddick you know it's hard it's powerful strong you're like no oh, but he's richard b riddick so like I like it so much better when everybody just goes Riddick, Riddick, Riddick. It's 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 weird. Like you almost feel like somebody at an orphanage gave him that name, not knowing that's like no, nah, no, nah, he's just Riddick. <laughs> that's that's what you should have stuck with the whole time. Although thinking about that, I am curious to find out what the B stands for. Maybe Butcher Bay. <laughs> badass. <laughs> yeah, badass. There you go. <laughs> but uh, so, it's. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, did it's you have something? Yeah, it's uh, because of the way they handled things and because I've seen the previous movie, this short works and it, it fleshes things out and it broadens the world. And then later on, when we get into Dark Athena, it makes it easy to buy this idea of another megalithic uh, merc ship that ends up being a pirate ship. And 
just learning about this whole structure because we do get all these elements of this world now. We learn about the mercs, the mercs, and the mercs. And uh, we'll get into that with later stuff, finding out that there uh, there are cops. Uh, again, you'll see that in the pitch black uh, intro thing from sci-fi. But uh, as Nemesis had uh, said in uh, one of our previous shows, the, the general idea seems to be that because the galaxy is so big, you can't have a volunteer force that's going to police all that so you have to rely on mercs and that just creates this whole other strata of the world that would be really cool to get into as submaterial. now i'm glad that you because that's something i did mean to, to bring up because i saw the same thing and i'm glad that you brought it up uh we so enjoy watching riddick just michael jordan all over everybody and like i said i saw the little speed cheat because he flew you can't accelerate if you're yeah. jumping you know unless you're falling but you can't voluntarily uh, accelerate without telekinesis or flight power of some kind but riddick parts <laughs> riddick was always uh prescient he was always uh he had spider sense yeah because in, particularly in dark fury he could always tell when danger was behind him he had 360 degree awareness at all times and that's why when he was doing the melee fighting, he didn't turn around to stab some of the opponents. He just stabbed them without even looking at them. Like, how do you know that they're there and where they are and all that? And how do you know how to get it? Because we know, you know, you're going to do the thing with the knife with the fourth and fifth rear. But you did that without looking. You know what I think so interesting about that is that I, I've never bought into the idea that Riddick is prescient, but... Mm -hmm. I've always bought into the idea that Riddick can think so many moves ahead and see everything that's going on that he can predict what the most likely outcome is. Is, and I do that because it's it's one of the things that I, I when I write about demons and stuff, I, I've talked to I know somebody who is an exorcist for the Catholic Church, and one of the things they teach is that you know, in you know whether you believe in all demons and everything or not, that's that's altogether you know that's a whole other pot or whatever, but. They say that demons like to say that they're prescient, but they're not. They're just hyper-intelligent, and they can see everything and take everything in and see so many moves ahead that it makes it seem like they know what the future is going to be. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, just, they're like 3D is looking at a 2D world. They've got a better yeah, view than we do. Where they're just playing the odds. And so I've always seen that as being Riddick's survival instinct. He's so good at figuring out all the angles and the odds mm -hmm. that he, it seems like he knows what the future is going to be. But he's now, just predicting what the most likely outcome that's, is. That's completely plausible. And my my digging into that uh, comes from the sci-fi primer uh, video that they did. Because it does clearly show uh, Riddick has some sort of uh, cognitive preternatural ability. He, he does this little blobby kind of Roshark sketch. And it doesn't make sense when uh, you know, he has an interviewer. And then later on, when he kills a bunch of guards to make his escape, they kind of overlay the layout of the bodies of this picture. And the, mm. uh, the psych is going like, and he seems to have some ability that taps into the preternatural. Now, this could have all been retconned because they do retcon a number of things that were set up in that. Uh, you know, like but the whole thing about his eye shine and stuff uh, being a surgical procedure. He's okay. such a great character that either option works, though. You mm -hmm. know, so... No, that's true. But one but thing I visions too, so I kind of cling to that. That's that's my head cannon, if nothing else. Say that again, Jeff. 
but he he does have visions, you know, coming across. You know, he's got space Skype mm-hmm. with his girlfriend to be. Uh, so uh, <laughs> him him having actual uh, prescience, uh, a la Dune, is is part of my own head canon. Okay, well, I'll tell you Thank what you. makes it work for me. What makes it work for me is if I imagine him as a Matt Murdock daredevil type, mm-hmm. and he's using sonar. Of well, his senses are so good. <laughs> so that actually works for me uh, because that's what Stick does. Stick is blind, but Stick has that same type of awareness in terms of the motion of the room around him, in terms of uh, air currents, like, in terms of... Yeah, he's, he's, he's sensing, he's probably smelling pheromones, feeling body heat, feeling right. the disturbance of the air on a microscopic level. Just He's got it right. all. So, right. So if we turn it more feral, like flies and spiders have, the spider sense is just them feeling the air currents mm-hmm. before anybody else does with the little hairs that they have. If we turn it that way, or we turn it more daredevilish, I can buy it a little bit easier. Because I did notice he didn't even turn around to stab people. Yeah. And when he's running in zero G, he's killing people behind him. I'm like, even the predators can't do that. They have mm-hmm. to get you in the sight first, and then they fire the shoulder cannon. They can't just la la la. Oh, you did. But anyway, that's all right. I'll allow it because it was so so much fun. We're not gonna trip. Okay, let's go to Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from Butcher Bay, the PC game review. Now I have to say, with this one, I got I got shades of both Doom and mm-hmm. a, 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 a should have been better Alien game. It's amazing how when we see the games we want to see, but there are other games, there are other IP that just, or, or movies that amaze me. Because I will maintain the hill I live on is the best Batman movies we've ever gotten was the Bourne trilogy. Because mm-hmm. that would be Bruce Wayne, not whatever, but that's another conversation. So when I'm looking at Butcher Bay, once again, I love the story. I love the information it fills in. But the gameplay itself felt just action-oriented enough but it also felt just spooky enough to where, like, I'm, you know, we're doomed. Like, some other stuff can jump out at you. And I love it when when the game makes you believe if the jump scares happen, they're legit and organic. Because when they're not, then it's just, we, we just put in that in there for a jump scare, and we see through that immediately. And it's never scary the second time. But when you get in an environment that makes you believe there are things lurking that maybe you haven't seen this time, that that I loved. And once again, the way Riddick looks, again, he looks like Riddick. I love first-person shooters. I love stealth games. I love both of those. Um, sometimes, like, if you go off on a tangent search, that's the one thing about the Batman Arkham games. You can go off on a tangent, which is cool. But you don't want to make 14 tangents for every scene. I don't know if it has just me, because then you get in a rabbit hole of tangents. So, you know, maybe could have done a little bit better with that. But overall, once again, once again, I, I give it high marks, you know, like 98 out of 100, you know, just little little nitpicks or whatever. But um, <clears throat> the the biggest draw for me is you get to step into Riddick's skin. You get to play as Riddick. You get to see things from his point of view. Again, that's why I like first-person shoes or whatever. But it's a little bit like God of War as well. You want to believe that's you out there doing that. So mm-hmm. once you see Riddick do all the stuff he does, 
You're like, well, I want to feel that too. I want to sail through the air and Michael Jordan out the mushroom cheese pie. So that's the draw, I think, of actually both of these games. But those are my thoughts. Let me hear yours. Uh, start with Steve. Yeah, um, I went and watched the uh, playthroughs of the of this game. Uh, and, and I have to say, like, it definitely feels like a last-gen game or, well, actually uh, two generations ago. This was for the original Xbox um, as well as PC and I think a couple other things. But um, so, I mean, there's some definitely a sense that it is a little bit dated, uh, at least in the way that they present it. But at the same time, Riddick looks like Vin Diesel, at least reasonably like Vin Diesel. And I have to say, I love the way they designed Butcher Bay. Um, <laughs> you know, they mentioned him. It's like, yeah, he escaped from Butcher Bay. And when you finally see it, um, you, you definitely can tell that he did a lot of work getting out of there. You know, it was you, you definitely can see that it was an achievement. Because um, you see all the wards uh, that, that he's stuck in, all these different places. And every time he gets captured, he gets thrown into a worse, uh, you know, <laughs> part of the prison. And you get to see how even, how even deeper it goes. Um, so, yeah, he gets, he, you know, he starts off with the gen pop. And, and we get to see what general population is like. And, and, yeah, it's pretty bad. And we get to see the culture of what that prison is like. Uh, we get to see a number of the prisoners. Uh, we get to see the people that uh, Riddick has to kill uh, in order to uh, be able to get uh, access to where he needs to go to get out. You know, all of this is really, really interesting. The people that he helps, you know, uh, the, 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 the sense of exchanging things, you know, the, the whole system of barter that you get in prison. Uh, yes. all, all, of the, all of these things, it feels like a real believable place. And then uh, he gets stuck down, you know, into that even deeper area uh, where the guards are flat out killing people. Like, they just do not care. They're just like, okay, you, you keep it slightly out of line. I'm going to put a bullet in you. And Riddick manages to survive that, uh, and believably, because he's just that badass. And, and it's just amazing that, that he – and he's also smart, you know, about when and where, you know, he acts up and acts out. Uh, you know, and, and Riddick is smart in it too, um, you know, taking advantage of the, you know, he's cautious, he observes, you know, he looks at, at where everything is. Um, he sets up uh, that guard Abbott uh, in that place that he knows that nobody's watching because that's the place that the guards use, you know, to inflict beatings on people without being seen. And Riddick turns it on its head and ends up going after them and killing them. I mean, all of these things, it feels like Riddick. It feels like like what Riddick would have done. Um, all of that is really, really amazing. It looks visually good. We get to see the creatures down there uh, that are living on that world, and, and Riddick actually unleashes some of them uh, as a ploy to get out. I mean, all of he's just taking advantage of everything life gives him, and he actually openly said so in one of these movies, one of these games. It's you know, it's basically I take the hand uh, given to me. You know, and 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 then I cheat. <laughs> you know, so and I, and it's just like, yeah, that's Riddick. That absolutely is Riddick. And um, the gameplay, yeah, it's very standard. I mean, it it, it is very you know stealth gamey. Um, I'm not really so much into first person shooters, and I'm not so much into stealth games. But you know, you don't care. It's Riddick. You're playing. You're playing as the ultimate badass. Um, you get to see you know him use his sight. I mean, you want to you want to see him use his, his night vision. Uh, you get definitely get uh, areas of the game where you rely on his night vision to move around. Um, you know, all of these kinds of things. And the way that he gradually gets stronger, uh, because, you know, firstly, there's, uh, like, he has to use his shivs because he can't use guns. 
and then he finds a way to make the guns work for him. You know, and then he gets stronger, and he finds better weapons, and then he finds mechs uh, by the end, and and all of these things. It's a natural progression uh, of the game where he is getting better, and he's you know getting positions of power uh, so that he can progress on his way out, and and all of it feels natural. Um, you know, John shows up from time to time. Uh, he's great in this, um, and and you can kind of see like this this weird love hate relationship that he has with John's because. Um, you know, John's is not really on good terms with the warden either. And so they have to rely on each other. And that, that whole idea that, yeah, they're forced to work together, but they hate each other. You know, all, all of these things is, is just really, really well done. The story is really excellent. Uh, every, all these guards and the warden are really terrible people. Um, and, and, you know, you finally get, finally get that moment at the end where, you know, you you take on the warden and, and the warden goes down and at the end, he's just a little coward and, and, Riddick just um, mops the floor with him. It is amazing. <laughs> um, I, I really, I really, you know, it's like I actually now want to go back uh, and get the Xbox version of this game and play it on the Series X uh, because it really just looks like a whole lot of fun. Uh, a lot different than just watching it as as basically a, a movie of the of the of the game. Really, really well done. Cool. Yeah. Now I agree with all that, and. Uh... Again, we keep saying the same thing, man, that we just wanted more, that this was so awesome. Just give me some more. Uh, go ahead, Bracey. Thoughts on Escape from Butcher Bay? Well, I, I got to say, one of the things I really liked is when they came out with Dark Athena, uh, the version I bought also included an upgraded version of Escape from Butcher Bay. They had gone back and reskinned the graphics to make it as good, those old graphics as good as they possibly could. Uh, with new skins and stuff, stuff. So, uh, hands off for the developers for uh, taking that extra step. Really appreciated by a fan of the series. This was such an interesting deep dive into Riddick's world, and it's a it's a great way to get it if we can't get it any other way because a lot of video games have become basically playable movies these days, and I love that format because you can really get. Um, enveloped in the story world you can take that deep deep dive into it one thing i did find funny because this is coming after the films is uh a little bit of john's and riddick's relationship because uh, i i thought initially riddick was a little too talky compared to how he was in pitch black mm -hmm. and maybe that's just uh you know he's, he's he's a prisoner then and he's he's a prisoner in this film too or this uh this game too but uh, it's also a video game, and you got Vin Diesel sitting there in the booth recording, so you're going to want him to speak as much as you can. So I kind of let that slide. But I, I felt initially as a little bit talky as the game goes on, and he's actually starts interacting with the prisoner, prisoners in there, and he starts kind of dialing it back, keeping it real simple. Uh, but there is that tradition of Riddick like, trying to get under his skins, and it was kind of neat finding out that, uh, John's had some particular weaknesses, uh, like he does not like hard landings from orbit. And you go back to pitch black, and that's as hard a landing as you can get. <laughs> and so it's uh, these these little details that tie into the person's character. It's like Nemesis said, all the uh, all the little extras of John's journals. Like we, I just soak up all these extra pieces of information later on in the game. Uh, you know, we'll see the injury that turned Johns into a drug addict uh, that he's popping pain meds for because uh, Riddick stabs him in the back with a screwdriver. 
and uh, doesn't get that kill spot, but he, he does nick his spinal cord. That becomes a, a lifelong problem for him afterwards. So uh, I love how they keep referring back to the movies the whole while and giving us something new at the same time. Uh, like Steve said, the, the world is gorgeous. It's well thought out. It's well developed. Uh, Toei's got to have, uh, as a producer, he's he's got to have either really good people with him or uh, a really good a really good kind of uh, universe bible, because this all feels like the same world. How many times have we picked up a video game, and it just feels like a cheap knockoff of the IP that is supposed to be? Yes, yes. But when we Get into these two games. I believe this is the Reddick verse. I believe that this exists in the Pitch Black universe 100. Uh, percent Both these games. It's just so well thought out, so well built. The characters work so well. Uh, the the technology, the scenery, everything fits in here. And uh, the acting. We talked a little bit about that before. How, uh, you know, God bless these actors who just love the property and they want to come in and make it affordable for the people to uh, produce this to the highest quality. When you get like Coles Hauser to come back and, uh, and play Johns uh, and you get, uh, you know, Ron Perlman in there uh, and, and so many other uh, really good actors in there. As a matter of fact, later on with the they retcon the doctor from the sci-fi special into a, a different doctor who sees him. And uh, because David Tui had a hand in uh, in Alien Three, I see this guy, and he's this like really religiousy guy, and he's, he's stitching Riddick up. And because they they made him this black guy with all these tribal markings, I was like, should, I think you should have gotten Charles Dutton to do this voice because I, I feel like he's kind of that character, just taking a step further. You know, he's he's like the shaman down there. You know, so like I, I see all this connective tissue to uh, other things uh, Tui's been involved with, and uh, you know it's it's just really neat stuff, and so I appreciate it greatly. And the, uh, you know, we've got to play within the mechanics of the game as it is. So you got to have the side quest, you got to have the a little bit of the first person shooter as a game. I wish the shooting parts when you actually get guns had gone FPS. But I would have preferred the gameplay style uh, as far as, like, the hand-to-hand -hand combat. I don't really like first-person hand-to-hand combat. I say, like, pull out into that 3D uh, third-person view for, like, uh, the Arkham Asylum uh, so you can really move about in the 3D space and see the opponents a little bit better. And uh, I think that would have made the fights more interesting than that uh, full-on view like that. But despite any nitpicks I might have... Uh, I am so pleased this is out there. Uh, just the level of thought that went into it. Uh, the the journey that we see Riddick and Johns go through. Mm -hmm. And we get, uh, with both these games, we get some just wonderful backstory on Johns' love along the way, even though he's not central to the plot, and finding out that this guy becomes, in his own way, almost as wanted as Riddick, and yet Riddick is like this, this fix. He's got to have Riddick, you know, like, like, why do you keep pursuing this guy? But he's like, uh, he's like that idea sometimes convicts have, like, if I can just make this one score, I can retire forever. And that's sort of what Riddick has become for Johns because he keeps getting his butt whooped. He keeps getting almost killed all these times. He chases him, chases him, and catches him, and, and, and you know, he escapes. Uh, 
but he's, he's dreaming of that one score because he knows he is really screwed up. He can't return to a proper civilized life. He can't return to his father. He can't return to the service he had been in. And he's blowing his credit with uh, a lot of the slams, apparently. So he's got to make this score. Otherwise, he's just going to live like a, a pissant little life somewhere in the outer rim. And that hunger and that desperation comes yeah. right through. Right through. It's organic, and, and we can understand what's going on. Okay, go ahead, Nemesis. Thoughts on Escape from BB? Well, just to expand on that last point, I would say that from this um, game and from the movies, that if it wasn't clear before, Riddick is John's white whale. Mm. You know? Yes, yes, well said. Yep. You know, I mean, that is really what it comes down to. Um, just real quick. You know, I think you guys hit on all the things, and I, I hit a little bit on it before. The thing that I love about both of these games is that it allows me to live in this world. Mm. Um, I, I love those types of games. Um, you know, the game was fun to play, obviously, because I played it, you know. But what I enjoyed more was living in the world, listening mm. to the conversations between different characters have knowing that when I watch a Chronicles with a Riddick and they're talking about which slam to take him to and somebody casually says let's take him to Butcher Bay I'm like I've been to Butcher Bay I know what Butcher <laughs> Bay you know, looks like you know it's like I've lived at Butcher Bay so um yeah just little stuff like that I mean I'm I'm the kind of guy that you know loves playing Arkham City just to fly around Gotham and see amusement mile and see this and see that you know or to play Skyrim and and read all the books, you know, it's like I'm that nerd, you know, I just love to live the world and honestly, the only thing I'm going to say is that Riddick, Butcher Bay, Riddick, Dark, uh, Assault, Dark Athena proved that what we really need are a series of Riddick open world games. Maybe the first one is Riddick Orphan, where Riddick, you know, comes out and it's his first entry and becomes a criminal. Then the second one's Riddick Unleashed. You know, it's like Riddick now, you know, spanning across multiple planets. And then the third one is, you know, Riddick Slam, you know, where he's captured. It's him evading Johns and evading all the other mercs until it leads right up into Butcher Bay, where the first time he's put into a slam. You know, there's your three games right there. Somebody take them, you know. (laughs) So uh, because I think that's what. Like Borderlands style. Yeah. Or Gozo Tsushima. Yeah. Because. The world is so rich that an open world series of games based on this world would sell like, you know, hotcakes. You know, it would just it would sell itself. I think people would eat them up, especially on next gen consoles and PCs. Uh, you could really do them justice. So, I, you know, maybe maybe we'll get that someday. I'll cross my fingers. So, yeah, you know, we're all in agreement. Uh, I think Nemesis summed it up really well when he's talking about how the draw is that I get to live in the world. And if you've noticed, we've been saying the same things over and over again, that whatever nitpicks we might have, whatever things we think could have been done differently, it's so much fun to be immersed in this world again until we can overlook it. And that's a sign of your writing. That's a sign of your story role and your characters. When they're just so much fun, you just want to be around them. You just want to be in it. You just want to visit it again. That was the initial draw of the Jurassic Park series. But of course, if you read any of the books, you know that's different. The Jurassic Park film series 
is literally the same premise every movie. And so they keep trying to up the ante and increase the stakes with a different dinosaur or a different level of dinosaur or a different kind of mutant dinosaur or dinosaur with 14 jaws, but it's the same story. It's the same idea. And it doesn't work unless the people are stupid. So, you know, you'd have to look at it differently there. But here, the story world is expansive, it's organic, it's feral, it, it makes you want to imitate the stuff. You know, I want to be like Mike, that kind of thing. I mean, so again, you know, that's why we keep complimenting this thing over and over and over again. I also I like all of our suggestions tonight about the ways we would personally expand it. Because I would definitely do Riddick against the Xenomorphs, Riddick against the Predators. I would definitely do that. And I would do my Seven of Nine story. Whatever story they're doing on Star, Star Trek Picard, Seven of Nine is one of the things I said about when Voyager got home. They would immediately arrest her. She couldn't just walk off that ship. Are you yep. kidding me? So, you know, once again, so Riddick and this Riddick content is an example of when you put the camera in the right place. The audience can't get enough. Uh, we want to stay more in the story world. And you make your supporting characters, Imam, Toons, Johns, even more interesting. That is not easy to do as opposed to other characterizations where we're just like, yeah, okay, if we don't never visit this world again, that'd be okay. And let's be honest, you know, if they gave us something that transformed, that showed us Jack, the person we don't mind seeing dying, transforming into Kira, the person that we didn't want to die, that mm -hmm. might be interesting as well. So, you know. I agree. I agree with that completely. And uh, the one thing I was going to say along those lines was that you know, if you're going to make somebody annoying, annoying because you're going to take them out, this was, <laughs> they nailed that. And, uh, but it's more of a situation where <clears throat> if I'm going to buy a story where the main character has to be a loner, you have to convince me in the context of the content that that's legit. Dark Fury convinced me completely. The, again, that line is echoed. I had Mercs on my tail. I'll always have Mercs on my tail. But this, the uh, Dark Fury uh, content, showed you why. Like, even if I don't want that to be the case, that is the case. And anybody hanging around me has to know how to live that kind of life. And there's very few people that have both the knowledge and the skill to hang with Riddick's life. Because nobody would ever volunteer for that life. So, yeah. So uh, we're going to wrap it up there. We talked about anything else you guys want to throw about? Yeah, okay. there's there's one last little thing I'd like to mention about uh, Dark Athena. There are some key things that I found, whereas we got some more interesting stuff about Johns in this game. And he's we get a little clue here uh, when um, when Revis talks about how he used to be a good man, but he wasn't anymore. Mm -hmm. But what I find most interesting is some of the stuff we get here about Riddick, uh, the fact that Riddick used to have a relationship with a Merc. I mean, what? I mean, this guy loathes Mercs. And he used to have a relationship with the captain of this now pirate ship. Uh, that, like, that was huge. And Riddick's code is on display here. As he's going in for his final battle, he says like a little prayer. And if I can remember, it says, uh, where there is hatred, so justice. Where there is injury give pardon 
where there is despair, hope, and a swift death to all those who stand between me and my goal. I was like, that's Riddick's code. Uh, there you have it. <laughs> it was great to have that yeah. put down. <laughs> I will also add just really quickly that the one difference between Riddick and 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 uh, Logan is that Riddick really is not a good influence on the kids that he <laughs> takes under his wing because the girl in Darth Athena turns into a flat out killer by the end of it because she you know she's she's taking after Riddick and it's like yeah I'm gonna tow and use the skills that my mother tell gave me to kill a bunch of mercs so that Raven can get off of the planet. I'm like, so oh my know. God, that's dark. Like so she turned Rogue. into a monster and she said that she would in the beginning. I just so was does, like, so oh my God. Yeah, so does Jack. That's what I'm saying. So, oh. you know, rather than Logan, who usually his influence is, is good on, on the girls that he helps, for Riddick, it's like he's turning them into weapons and it's just, you know, but at this, but he doesn't mean to. That's the worst thing. He's just doing being Riddick doing what he does. Riddick is the, is the anti-hero personification of the super soldier serum where he makes yeah. you more of what you really are. <laughs> you know, one way or the other, your true mm -hmm. character is going to be exposed. So, well, yeah. he makes you more mercenary because he is. He has to live that way. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, it's like you are or not. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, the, uh, they develop these drones on the Dark Athena. And uh, I couldn't help but think they remind me a lot of the necromonger lensers. These these dead bodies are uh, perhaps lobotomized, uh, mixed with cyborg technology to turn them into something else. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if, like, maybe uh, maybe some mercs have managed to snag a necromonger or two and learn from them. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I actually kind of like the way that they they took it. It didn't feel like the Cybermen or the Borg or you know or similar yeah. things that we've done. Um, it felt like its own thing and its own part of this universe. And uh, you got to credit them for being able to do that. That is not easy. Still fits. Still all there fits. is. There is one thing that I wanted to add real quick before we, we end up is that um, one thing I'd I, I'd say everybody you know uh, interesting thought to put in everybody's mind is that. Sometimes I watch Riddick and everything that's going on here and I contrast it with Firefly and think maybe there's a way that the two could cross over or even that Riddick is the evolution of the humanity of humans in Firefly universe thousands of years in the future. So, yeah, he definitely he definitely fits like I can see him fitting into the Firefly world just as easily as I can see him fitting into the, the world of aliens. He definitely uh, has a Mal Reynolds ethos. I, yeah. I would say. Yeah, but with that bad influence, you're going to be a mercenary by the time I'm done with you. Oh, I'm sorry. I taught you 10 ways to kill. Oops. <laughs> but instead of that, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. All right, folks. Well, again, once again, we're talking about stuff that we love and talking about it from a fan point of view and a writer point of view and how sometimes just it's just the attention to detail. If I could sum it up, it's the attention to detail that makes all this content fantastic from getting the original voice actors to to the animation styles to setting the right mood and tone but this is what happens when you take content creation seriously when you have a production team that takes it seriously and loves the material this is the kind of stuff you get so if you're wondering what's the difference why sometimes they can't even get the most popular ip rights because they don't care anything about it it's different when you care about something it's different if you want to make a Superman game, we want to know what it feels like 
to push yourself off the earth and propel yourself through the sky under your own power? Is that the muscles in your thighs? Is that telekinesis? How do you turn? How do you bank? How do you accelerate? That's what we want to feel. We want to see it and we want to feel it. And if you can't put your audience in those shoes in a Superman game, then it's going to, it's just going to push them out of it. Okay. Who gets that right is Spider-Man. If you don't know how to play a Spider-Man game, you'll be dizzy from all the web. <laughs> that's how deep the angles are. That kind of visceral experience. That's what we want. So this is what happens when you, again, the uh, level of attention to detail is what makes all of this Riddick content work. All right. So I want to thank my co-host. Thank you so much, Nemesis. No problem. Uh, love this series. Can't wait to see what we tackle next. Thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, this has been a really great exploration. Um, I love this series. I love everything about it. David Tui created just such a remarkable world. And even when the stuff, even the stuff that we don't like as much is still pretty good. Um, and we can still find things to like about it. Uh, and even in the side content, everything is so interesting and compelling. And this is what you want to do when you're building a world. Exactly right. Well said. Thank you so much, Bracy. All I can say to sum up is I want more. Tui, Diesel, get on it. Mo, mo, mo. All right. That's it for this episode. And we will see you next time on the next episode of Sloppy Spoilers. <laughs>